Welcome back to the Daily American. Just want to, uh, first and foremost, thank you guys, everybody who subscribed, everybody who's listened, downloaded. I appreciate it. Available on Spotify and podcasts. A little funny story to start this one off. Um, first of all, this is, our, this is my first outdoor meeting. So if you hear some wind in the background, I mean, it's a beautiful day here right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And why not do it outside? So first of all, let me say... Um, I gotta stop saying first of all, but I, you know, I ask some people to interview and sometimes I get, oh yeah, of course I'm, I'm an open book. And that's like the first, that's like the first sign that people aren't going to, aren't going to sit down and, and do the interview. But I asked a, a good buddy of mine, Lee Finkel for an interview. And he, he happened to say, you know, I'm an open book and here we are sitting sitting on his porch on a beautiful Friday afternoon. Lee, welcome. Hey, Dan, how are you? Good, good. So let's just, I know you got a a story like like most people and that's what this podcast is about. Just sharing, you know, memoirs of of people and childhood pasts. Exactly. So let's start let's start off uh you know, your your household situation, your your childhood growing up. Yeah, pretty normal. Uh, middle class family. Both parents were teachers. Uh, had two siblings. I was the oldest. So we grew up pretty lucky, actually. I look at it, <clears throat> especially nowadays. Um, everything was pretty good for the beginning part of our lives. We had a good, you know, we always had a meal. We got to go on trips. Um, we did a lot of family stuff. No problem, no issues um, in the beginnings. So yeah, it was like, you know, pretty normal childhood. We we're all into our things. I was into sports, obviously. Um, brother was into sports too, but not as much. No, no one was really as committed as I was. My sister, a good athlete too, but you know, did her, did her own thing. Um, but yeah, so typical middle, typical middle, middle class Pennsylvania family, the Finkels. Gotcha. And your sport of choice. What, what was it growing up? Sport of choice was definitely basketball. Um, looking back, I probably wish I went a different route just because it's so hard to make it in that route. Um, and going to be, end up being five, eight, five, nine at the tops. Probably should have went with soccer, which was really a skilled sport of mine, but I just didn't like it. So I like didn't want to play it ever. I didn't practice it, but basketball, man, I was, I was drilling myself since probably five, six years old. Probably a little bit of my dad influence in there. He pushed me hard, especially my early years. Really pushed me. So yeah, but it was good. Five eight. I mean, you were you're pretty good. Did you did you play competitively anywhere? So yeah, we played all the way up until I actually had a offer in college, a couple of college offers, but nothing great, nothing that I really wanted to do. And by that time, long story short, I was shot out. I didn't feel even feel like playing basketball competitively anymore. But as I was growing up, yeah, we did all the AAU circuits. Played for a guy named Sam Rines, and actually he. Long story short, was the one that started AAU with Kobe. So when I first started, I was doing drills in third grade, looking over at this eighth grader, or seventh grader, or whatever grade Kobe was in, doing the drills right next to me. And he was amazing. He was perfect. He would go up and down 20 straight crossovers, pull up three, 15 straight times. He maybe missed once total. And we were just, we knew this kid was going to be amazing. Um, so yeah, I just left a little Kobe story. Shout out recipes. Um, but yeah, um, I used to drill after school. My dad would drive me up there to Sam Rines and Abington from, you know, we lived in 
way more. So it was about 25, 30 minutes every day. And I would just do different drills. We actually did a lot of times where we wouldn't even shoot, but we did dribbling drills where that's a lot of anyone, any of you know me. I'm pretty good with the handle. Or I was, God, <laughs> not anymore. But uh, yeah, it's because of that, man. Practice. I used to do that every day and he would give me drills to do at home. I would come home do my homework and then on the carpet I would be in between my legs dribbling. I would go to my boy's house where I'd be dribbling off the court. Up the, I would. I got in trouble in school a couple of times because I would bring the ball to school. They made me stop that. But uh, yeah, so and I was really, I was really motivated at that time in my life to, to be a, at least a college basketball player. Yeah, absolutely. And sharing a basketball court with uh with Kobe, that's a story on its own. Yeah, yeah. It was that's amazing. awesome. But As I was walking in, I actually saw. Um, a picture with you and, and Charles yes, Barkley. Yes, did, yeah. Ex- explain that to me. So uh, I had one of my basketball buddies was, you know, having a party, and his dad worked for the Sixers. And he actually just was letting, you know, we had no idea who was going to be there. He said, hey, we're having a party at whatever country club it was. And Charles Barkley comes walking in, and I, my mom just remembered, go ask him for a picture. And funny story, like he really wasn't all about how uh, friendly and chummy he is now, let's say. Barkley, you know, not that he w- didn't want to get the pictures with a bunch of kids, but you can imagine he's a little younger than he is now. He's probably out. It was a Friday night. He, he, you know, but he scooped me up, helped me real <laughs> My mom took the picture, snap, snap. He gave me a little dad pounder, high five, whatever it was. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, so I always remember that. And, uh, it's funny because I just like loved him so much and seeing him. I, I wish going back, I would have got that somehow. I got an autograph, but it wasn't like, you know, we had a Polaroid. It was a picture that my mom had to go and get, you know, whatever they did back then. I forget. Take yeah. it to the, take it to the shop and then you hand it in, I guess, to CVS and you get your, an hour and then we come back. But yeah, so that was, that was cool. That's awesome. There's a two little Barkley and Kobe story. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some great stories. Would you say that you're, uh, you know, you said your dad pushed you a little bit with the basketball. Did that, that, do you think that, um, you know, helps you? motive you know self-motivate yourself like, absolutely i mean oh. basketball one thing i will say has kept me on the, the right and narrow i wasn't being where i am now being a teacher i wasn't the best student growing up and you don't really realize as you, you know in elementary school like shit if i don't get good grades but in high school i can't i mean not good grades but if i don't get good enough grades i can't play blah 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 and i wasn't really where i was failing but i was close to where my gpa when i got in the beginning of eighth grade playing and ninth grade playing where it was, it was low because I just didn't care. I didn't try. I did nothing. I knew I was a smart, intelligent kid, but school just didn't motivate me. Yeah, you just didn't apply yourself. Didn't apply myself. I see that a lot of times in my students. I think it's what makes me able to relate to them because I was that kid. And I understand the value of my education now. And I effed up a ton. And I you know, went to school late than I should have. And I had extra years. And I'm in the student loan debt that we're all in now. And I... Don't want to see kids get into that. Um, long story short, I wish I would have taken some of those scholar- scholarships now. But at that po- moment, after playing for PW competitively, I was just so over everything. My dad was not in a you know mental state. We get into that in a little bit, but I was just so preoccupied and worried about other family shit that no one even knew what was going on. Um, you know, it was hard for me to really focus on another dedication to basketball. Where I know, oh God, every morning I'm getting this is college now, so it's no joke and. You know, these guys are a lot better. Not that I didn't think I could hold my own, but I knew I wouldn't be like starting. I'd probably be on the bench, maybe getting a couple minutes there and here. Just because defensively, defensively, you start getting exposed at that level, um, and my size. And again, I wasn't, when you're not motivated to like work out and really 
throw your guts and glory into all of it. It's hard to guard some of those dudes that are just so much more uh, superior than you athletically. Yeah, uh, sure. I think, you know, athletics, obviously, it's a lot. Um, I think it's a lot of genetics. I mean, it, it, there's just certain ath- freaks, of, freaks of nature growing yep. up that when you're on a basketball court with them, it doesn't doesn't matter if, you know, you can – you have certain skills that are better than them. Their their overall athleticism, their strength, their size, their speed. It's gonna potentially, and their potential to be to get better is higher than what your you know limit or level might be at my size. And you know, being a small Italian Jewish man from the suburbs of Pennsylvania, probably, <laughs> probably limited. But you know, anyways, going back to the other stuff, like. Not complaining at all. It was, basketball was great to have because it, it focused me in school and it made me pull my shit together and get good grades. Realize it was really about attendance and trying and caring and seeing that you have people there that want to help you. And it pushed me to do well and go to college and eventually get my degree in uh, education and be a teacher. And I, I love what I do now. I'm able to give back. I'm able to help. I can still get into the realm of basketball here, here and there, helping and coaching some of the teams at the various schools I've been at. So, you know, long, long story short, that, that was a great, push that my dad gave me um i was just burnt out from all the other shit like just thinking you know the life of going through with my like again we'll get into it so my dad basically if you guys don't know my dad ended up committed suicide about 15 years ago now around that time um so i was in that you know in that age of just getting into figuring out college and when he did it wasn't when we were dealing with it so like i was the oldest son i knew about it for years before it actually happened um who shielded my younger brother and sister and everyone else in the world. So it was basically my mom and I, which I don't, I don't blame her. I understand. And I'm glad that she at least filled me in. Um, but looking back, I was, I wasn't ready for that as a 18 year old kid, uh, trying to deal with his own shit. And, and I wasn't even 18. I was still in high school when I first heard dad, you know, has some, some issues, depression, some suicidal tendencies. We need to keep an eye on him. We need to take him to these doctors. So we were secretly, secretly going to visits. Um, where I remember distinctly lying to them about how bad he was. Um, looking back those first couple of years, I would blame myself. Oh my God. Like if I didn't lie, maybe he wouldn't have been, but it got like you learn after the years that someone that's going to commit suicide is going to commit suicide. Um, if they're really determined to do that, no matter what, it's no one to blame, not even him to blame, but mentally he's not thinking the same coherently wasn't there. Some of the notes that we read after the fact was, it was just, you know, jibber jabberish baby batter and you know he's so he was a very prominent working businessman making hundreds of thousands of dollars with the company that he was working through for the camp and the teacher job and he was always saving and this last couple years through depression um he stopped caring about that shit he was in the house a lot so my brother and sister started picking up on stuff but yeah so that was tough and only like my close friends still to this day really know that's a huge reason why my basketball, I don't want to call it a career, but my basketball passion just kind of flamed out. And, uh, but as much as it sounds like it's a depressing story, um, going back, um, I would obviously love my dad to still be here. I wouldn't say I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that back, but it changed me. It made me the man. It made me really grow up and, you know, get my shit together. Like, so I speak. Cause even though I understood, I was still only motivated by basketball. Really just thought, you know, I'd have someone there to get me by. I'm, you know, someone in high school will tutor me and then in college they tutor you and made you get really independent real fast where you had to really, you know, pull back, come home, take care of the family, take some time off, not worry about college. 
And then you go back to college and then the debt hits from all the shit, you know. My dad stopped paying his uh, life insurance, so we never even got life insurance, which, again, very grateful for. Because I think if we got millions of dollars, which we should have, um, everything would have been different. I think we would have been not going back to college like I did. My sister, my brother, none of us you know, would have probably pursued college, would have just sat back on that money. And now we see how quick that could go between five family members, even a couple million dollars we would have had. But it could have caused dissension. It could have caused issues. So, yeah, I, I think... In the long grand scheme, it made me a better man. It made me who I am. I wouldn't have met my wife, wouldn't have had my beautiful child, probably if my life was differently, if my father, you know, if I did go to the first college scholarship I had and I, he was healthy and pushed me through it and I was doing it just for him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I always think about that. I always tell people that, like, I don't have any regrets. Where I'm supposed to be is where I am. And, you know, that's how I live life every day, too. Yeah, I think your, uh, your willingness to disclose that um, with me, with with the daily american i mean that's that's that takes a lot of courage um especially when it's something that just like your your close friends and and family know about uh with that being said dude when when that tragedy struck you i mean you're just a kid um just a kid. yeah obviously it, you know i'm not sitting here comparing but i i lost my father it was at a much later age and i was already on my own and everything but well it's still tough no matter what age man i don't care if you're 90 years old or five years old you lose a parent you lose a family member it's tough um circumstances are always different obviously sure no one's yeah. preparing anything but i always tell people that like it's okay to to like talk to me about it or don't or feel a certain way or be like yeah i can relate like i'm not gonna people that get mad at that stuff have their own issues and they never worked it out in their self and i i'm not judging anyone for that i actually never went and talked to anybody i never had i i worked through all that shit by myself uh, mentally and maybe i should have maybe it took me a little longer than i could have um but yeah, everyone handles grief differently. But yeah, man, comparing, you know, your father died at this age or how the how they died. Boom, everyone, sure. Yeah. And I'm sure there's tons of people out there that had that feeling. That's why I like to talk about it because we do that suicide walk every year and we hear the hundreds and thousands of stories every year about so-and-so kids. And as a teacher, I, I hear it. Eight-year-old, you know, commits suicide because of online bullying. Eight, and ten. So it's like, if we don't talk about it, we don't speak up about it. Who will? No one will stop about it. And, you know, maybe no one on this specific podcast will hear me and make a difference, but maybe someone will hear me and then they'll talk about it and it will bounce down to someone's views and eventually make a difference. And if you save one life, it was worth talking about it. That's how I look at everything, really. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a touchy subject, of course, but if people are willing to understand that it's a prevalent, scary, fucking crazy subject that happens every day, um, we need to talk about it, just like gun issues, just like differences in politics. Me and you sitting down here, one huge Trump man. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a huge Democrat, but I'm a Democrat. And we can sit here and be best, have a great conversation. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Daily American strays away from Listen, politics. Listen, I'm not going to talk about I'm saying, but we can sit here and have a conversation and not talk about politics and be able to just agree on different points. And that's the point that certain people can't have is like not everything needs to be politicized. Not everything needs to be sure. political. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, gun issue doesn't have to be political. You know, education doesn't have to be suicide prevention, you know, mental health crisis. That doesn't have to be political. Um, but it does get to that. So we'll stop there. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, that's a little bit about my future, my life stories on why I got to where I am today and how I got to where I am today. Um, and you know, any other specific questions I'm sure you can think of. No, I think uh, I think the biggest thing when it comes to your story is, you know, at at such a young age being hit with that 
with that tragedy and then being able to um, persevere through it and, you know, not saying with or without therapy, you, you would have had same or, or different results. Um, but at the end of the day, you now have a beautiful family. You're, you're beautiful. a teacher. Amen. Where, where do you teach? Uh, so I teach in Philadelphia. It's called KIPP Charter Schools. I'm actually virtual right now, so I've been doing it online since the pandemic started. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so I live out in the suburbs, but I teach in the city. I think that's I know, where I'm meant to be, where I want to be, where I like teaching. Not that these kids out here don't need me, but I think those kids down there need a little a more white guidance. man like me. Just a man. Doesn't a even five, have to be eight, white. white someone, yeah, someone different <laughs> that they don't always maybe hear. Someone that they can see that cares about them and loves them. Um, and I can see that there is people in this world that do love them and care about them at a young age. And might, like I said, my one student might change the world. My one student that I can get to understand that may, might have seen a, you know, a white man as a threat always, no matter who they are, could maybe soften up a little bit and potentially create bonds. And that's what I want to do in this world. And that's what I think needs to happen. So, again, not political. That's just, you know, fucking how I feel. I think that's exactly what we're trying to... Um, the great American, daily American should spread the love. Exactly, and just sit down and hear hear from different backgrounds, different races, different religions, different countries, um, and just hear their stories. I think I think one I thing one thing people have in common is everybody has some sort of, no matter your socioeconomic background, anything, um, some, everybody's got some sort of struggle. Oh, yeah. And Praise. If if they persevered through that, I you know I, I want to hear the stories and and that's what we're doing here at the Daily American. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. And it's like important that people understand that. I mean, you know, we can all relate in some way. Yeah, I agree, thousand percent. Lastly, Mister Finkel, obviously, um, you know, you your beautiful wife Ramona Hazel. How old's Hazel now? So Hazel is now two years old. Um, two years old in one month, actually, which is crazy. So we, you know, had her during this whole pandemic, you know, right, basically right after she was born, everything kind of got crazy within those first five, six, seven months. It's been weird adapting, but, uh, like I said, I'm teaching from home. So that's a totally different aspect. I'm getting to spend time with her. My beautiful wife is an African American goddess. Um, so my daughter is a mixed child. So in this world, that does scare me. Might not be able to tell yet right now, but she's got, you know, she's going to have some dark skin and dark color and even not. No one should have to worry and fear like that, um, that their child isn't safe in the world that we live in. So that's all, you know, part of my goals and aspirations too, is just making sure my family is safe in this world. And I see it on a daily basis and it's not, you know, just one sided. It's both sides, you know, white, black. It doesn't matter the color. Sometimes they have a pretty, you know, like a preconceived notion about how blacks should only date blacks or whites should only date whites. And I like to be able to show that we're a loving, beautiful, like you said, family that is successful and operating in this world. And there should be no judgment on that as long as there's love. Yeah. And I, you know? yeah, I agree but with we you. Do get judged the time. Yeah. I see the looks out there, y'all. Um, it could be because she's so beautiful and they're like, how is she with this schmo? This schmuck. I don't look like a this five eight Jewish yeah. Italian guy. I'm up to like 185, pushing, you know, getting close to 200. I'm but yeah, man. Nah, you definitely have a beautiful family, and you know, you're the leader of this family, and I think you've came, you've been through some some shit, and you definitely have, yes, sir. have come a long way. And uh, you know, last thing I want to want to touch on briefly is, I think my opening, my intro, um, Danny C. It was 
at the end of it, like, I don't know, I was just talking and got nervous. I was, I made some joke, like, uh, I'll swan dive out my window. And then I was like, I shouldn't joke about suicide or people are going to get upset. But realistically, it's just me being uh, blind to the fact that like suicide, you know, not only does it affect guys I serve with on a regular basis, um, veterans, I think 22 of them a day kill themselves. Um, but it affects, it, it affects just like, but again, real quick to cut you off. People that make, uh, go care, like those type of jokes, that's, we, we're not, anyone that's intelligent or not in the heat of the moment knows that you're not specifically being offensive. And, and people shouldn't have to watch their tongue to, like you said, I shouldn't make the, unless you're saying something, like, again, if, unless you're saying something and you, out of hatred or malice, then, you know, most things that you say shouldn't be taken that way. Amen to that. Yeah. I wish, I wish other people shared that same perspective. And that but comes unfortunately, with life. that comes with life yeah. perspective. Like I tell you, I always use the word perspective with you. I tell you, you know, it's one perspective or another. Some person could see, you know, having $20,000 in their bank account as low and some people could see it as sure, extremely high and some people could see it as me. And that's just the perspective of life. And you got to understand that, you know, and I tell people it's okay to spoil your kids. I don't care if you're rich and you spoil your kids. Just make sure those kids understand that you're spoiling them, that they feel lucky and that they don't act a certain way towards other kids that might not be as lucky. And that's the love aspect. Just, you know, make sure your kids are grounded. Dude, I wish parents we could just keep, I really wish we could just keep talking. I mean, yeah, we gotta go thing, golf though, bro. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> last thing I'll say on that is, you know, there's only so much pussification you can do with a generation in regards to, to hey, words and and unfortunately you know oh, yeah. society no. setting. you got to be able to say to keep the truth out there i would never censor any any type of truthness and that's one thing that i do, don't want to politicize but like shouldn't be able, as long as it's coming from you're not trying to like specifically be detrimental or racist or derogatory and yeah. you, should, you know you there's no malice behind there's no it. malice you should be able to joke around and make some jokes and people you know you know gotta have some fun out there you should be able to Bust some balls and some chops out there. Right? Absolutely. That's what the, some uh, Jew jokes out there for those, you know, I mean, we like a little Jewish joke. Yeah, sure. That's one thing. That. One last thing about the Daily American. It's, <laughs> it's always non-scripted. It's always, uh, you know, we try to be as real as yeah, possible on here. Top over here. Exactly. <laughs> they don't want me to start. Should I drop the beat right now? Oh, man, <laughs> Should I drop the beat? That's Flinkle Old School 2.2. That could be for the next, uh, podcast. We'll have to. Talk to Patty Butters about, I mean, Patty Russ about that. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, shout out Patty Butts. My man's dying down there. Got it. Yeah, got to shout out Mr. Mr. Russ. Mr. Mr. Russ. All right, well, the Daily American welcomes you back, uh, Mr. Finkel. Any, anytime you'd like, I yeah, appreciate it. Anyone uh, out there that needs a, a lock, bet wise, just come to me. You can ask Dan for my number. Yeah. I charge nothing and I just give straight fire locks. <laughs> Holler. <laughs> We um we welcome you back, Mr. Finkel. It's been uh it's been real talking with you, and uh, hopefully your message and and your story touches somebody. Because amen, brother. That's, that's what the Daily American's about. Take care, man. Holla.